From the Heidelberg Catechism, let's read together Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction, that means payment for our sins, could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Wiser added, he descended into hell. In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his suffering, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what a blessing it is that for the second time today we may hear the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. This afternoon we continue our study of the Apostles' Creed, specifically about the mighty works of Christ our Savior. We will consider the depth of Christ's humiliation, how Jesus Christ, Lord and King of all, became a servant for us, how he was willing to humble himself even unto death, how Christ laid down his life for us to grant us life and joy and peace in him. The fact that Christ became a servant is clearly demonstrated in Philippians 2. Paul writes that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul shows the extent of Christ's service in our redemption by stating that Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our Lord came to do his Father's will. He voluntarily gave up his life for us. As we consider these things this afternoon, I want you to ponder on your heart's response to the gospel message. When we consider how Christ became a servant for us, it begs the question, are we willing to be Christ's servants? When we see how Christ laid down his life for us, the question arises, 
Are we willing to give our whole life as a sacrifice of praise to Him? When we think about how Christ devoted Himself to doing the will of His Father, we need to ask, are we willing to submit ourselves to doing God's will, to living according to His commands? Preach you the Word of God under the following theme. Christ became a servant and humbled Himself unto death for us. We'll see how Christ laid down His life for us and how we are to offer up our lives to Him. One of our readings this afternoon was from Psalm 40. In it, David gives thanks to the Lord for hearing his cry, for delivering him out of the slimy pit. David has faced many hardships in his life. In reflecting on his struggles, he acknowledges that it is the Lord who has saved him from his distress. Thus, the desire of David's heart is to thank the Lord for his mercy and grace. In Psalm 40, David spends time reflecting on the kind of thanksgiving that God desires from his children. David acknowledges that although the Lord has instituted a sacrificial system for his people, it was not the observance of ritual sacrifices that really pleased him. It's possible for us to honor God with our lips while our hearts are far from him. Often in Israel's history, the Lord admonishes people for thinking that they could appease him with their sacrifices while living in fragrant disobedience to his commands. What God desires is that we do his will, that we obey his commandments. In Psalm 40, verse 6, David acknowledges this. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Striking to note that in the midst of telling us about how God didn't just desire the outward sacrifice of various animals, David says, you've given me an open ear. The NIV translates, my ear you have pierced. What's that got to do with it? What point is David making here? The word our, our text translates as open literally means to dig or to excavate. Scripture commonly uses this word of digging a well or a pit. It even uses it of cutting out a tomb in the rock. Thus, to dig through an ear has been translated to open it or to pierce it. It appears that there's a play on words here. To have your ear opened means that you're willing to receive instruction. You're willing to listen when God speaks to you. You want to obey God's commands in everyday life. But there's another meaning to having your ear opened. You can also have your ear pierced. The practice of having one's ear pierced is something spoken about in the law, specifically in Exodus 21, 1-6. Here Moses relates laws concerning Hebrew servants. If an Israelite faced bankruptcy, he could offer himself as 
a bondservant to his neighbor. He sold his labor for a period of no more than six years. For the law stipulated that in the Sabbath year he was to be set free. Yet if a servant loved his master and wanted to continue in his service, he could do so. The ceremony involved making vows before the judges. The servant would say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out as a free man. To make this official, the lobe of his ear was pierced with an awl, leaving a permanent scar, a mark of his perpetual servanthood. It's important for us to know. For Psalm 40 is a messianic psalm. Our text is quoted by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 7. He applies Psalm 40 to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came into this world with purpose. He knew we could not fulfill God's law, that we were unable to keep God's commands, that for us they bring death rather than life. And thus Christ says, I have come to do your will, O Lord. Christ came to do the will of God, to secure salvation for all who love him. When Christ came to earth, he came with purpose. He came to redeem us from our sins, to set us free from the mastery of Satan. Christ knew he would have to suffer and even die to accomplish this. I read about that in Mark 8. After Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, our Lord made clear what his task on earth involved. He taught his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. This was the eternal plan of God for our salvation. Jesus knew that, and he was fully committed to doing the will of his Father in heaven. That's why he says he must suffer and be rejected and killed. Peter rebuked our Lord when he heard these things. He did not yet understand the character of the kingdom of God. He did not understand that the Messiah had to come as a suffering servant in fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. Yet Christ realized the true source of Peter's objections. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Christ knew he was the way, the truth, and the life that we could only have access to the Father through his sacrificial death on the cross. Christ went the way of the cross as our substitute. He was willing to give up his life for ours. He suffered death with all it entails in our place. Christ died to make payment for our sins. In Romans 8, verse 3, Paul speaks about how God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Hebrews 2, verse 8 speaks about how Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Christ humbled himself unto death to give us life. It's striking to see the parallels between the commitment offered by a Hebrew servant and Christ who fulfilled this Old Testament law. 
The Hebrew servant's commitment was based on his love for his master. It was voluntary. The servant had an opportunity for freedom, but he chose to remain in the service of his master. His commitment was permanent. Once he chose to be a servant, he was bound to serve his master for life. It was total. He was fully committed to doing the will of his master in all respects. And beloved, so it was with our Savior Jesus Christ. His work as a servant was done out of love. It was because a Hebrew servant loved his master and wife and children that he chose to remain in his master's house. And in the same way, Jesus' sacrificial service was motivated by his love for his father. In John 14, 31, Jesus says, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commanded me. Jesus' willingness to sacrificially give his life for us was also motivated by his deep and abiding love for us. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The fact Christ laid down his life for us shows the depth of his love for us. Christ's work of service was done voluntarily. He chose the way of suffering and death. Luke 9 verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Christ was not a slave who was compelled by his father to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He went to Jerusalem of his own free will, voluntarily. And Christ's life was not taken from him. At any time he could have called out, and the father would have sent legions of angels to deliver him. In John 15:10 Jesus said, I lay down my life for my sheep. Truly, Christ laid down his life for us. He gave up his life so we could have life. Christ's commitment was complete. He dedicated himself to doing the will of his Father in all things, no matter what the cost might be. We know that the cup of suffering that Jesus drank from was very bitter. His struggle in doing the Father's will was evident in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times Jesus prayed that the cup of suffering might pass him by, but each time he added, but not my will, but yours be done. And in this time, Jesus was in agony. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. He knew the cost of redemption was very high. Christ's loving service on our behalf is made clear in his commitment to walk the pathway of suffering to the bitter end. Our Lord humbled himself and became obedient to death 
even death on a cross. In the ancient world, one of the most brutal deaths a person could die was by being crucified. Those condemned to die were whipped within an inch of their lives first. Then they had to carry their cross outside the city. And finally, they were nailed to it, left hanging naked under a scorching sun, slowly suffocating because they could not get enough air into their lungs, suffering immensely from the pain and the torment they underwent. And that's not all. Dying by crucifixion was such a shameful death. The Romans reserved this kind of death for those guilty of rebellion against Caesar and for the worst criminals they wanted to make an example of. The Jews considered those who were hung on a tree cursed by God. For the Lord Jesus, this was the hardest thing. He was forsaken by his heavenly Father. He suffered the agony and the torment of hell. He had to bear God's wrath against all our sins in order to pay for them. Christ did all that willingly, faithfully, obediently. Even when the going got tough, he persisted in doing the will of his Father in heaven in order to redeem us, to save us from coming under God's curse, to spare us from the severe punishment we deserved, to grant us righteousness and life, so that now and eternally we may live in a close relationship with Father in heaven. In our first point, we've considered how Christ laid down his life for us. In our second, we'll see how we are to offer up our lives to him. Beloved, our human nature is such that in and of ourselves we seek to be Lord and King of our own lives. We want to rule over our own destiny. In the individualism of our society, there's a constant striving for self-sufficiency. We want to be competent, to be strong, to be in control. We don't like being dependent on anyone for anything. Those feelings and desires influence us in many ways. They can influence our young people in career choices, where you choose certain jobs because of how much they pay or the status they offer. They can compel us to work really hard and to save our money, to make sure we'll be financially secure. Of course, it's good, it's prudent to be good stewards of the riches God has given us. We need to be aware of the danger of trying to build our own little kingdoms on this earth. The question we face is, how are we living pleasing lives before God in response to his grace in Christ? As the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ had something to say about this. He called to the people and said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus asks, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? We see that Christ calls us to have an eternal perspective on how we live our lives. See, beloved, there's more to life than the here and the now. Those who live in Christ in this life will share in His eternal glory. Those who live for themselves will suffer being cut off from God forevermore. As a servant of the Lord, Jesus teaches us how we all need to become servants. In Matthew 9, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In Mark 10, 43 to 45, he said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beloved, does the glorious gospel about Christ's servitude touch your heart? Does Christ's sacrificial service bring forth a response in your life? Consider the Hebrew servant of Exodus 21 who bound himself to his master in love. Love was the motivating factor that compelled him to give up his freedom to serve his master. Do you love the Lord that much? So much that you're prepared to give up your life, the things you want to do to serve the Lord Christ? That you're willing to offer your life as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew servant who bound himself to his master did so voluntarily. He had the choice to go free. And yet he willingly bound himself to the service of his master. Beloved, the things we do in the service of God, are they done out of duty or compulsion? Do we attend the worship services because we feel we have to? Do we come because it's our heart's desire to give glory to God and to hear his gospel? Do we do the things expected of us because people expect those things, they set those standards? Or do we do them out of heartfelt thankfulness to God for His grace in Christ? When a Hebrew servant committed himself to his master, it was a choice for life. Once he went through that ceremony where his ear was pierced, He vowed his service to his master for the rest of his life. Do we realize the vows we make in the presence of God are commitments for life? That the vows given at our profession of faith in marriage and at the baptismal font are binding? That we're to be faithful to them not just when life is good, but also in the midst of struggles and hardships? What are you doing 
to honor and uphold the vows you have made. When a Hebrew servant committed himself to his master, it was a total, all-encompassing commitment. He was committed to do the will of his master in all respects. Are we committed to serve Christ that way? Are you willing to commit your whole life to his service? Are you devoting your time, your talents, your treasure for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom on earth? Beloved, is your heartfelt desire to serve God according to his word? Are you willing to forsake the world and all the pleasures that it offers? To crucify your old sinful nature in the service of your Lord and your King? Please understand, we're not called to do these things because the Hebrew, the Hebrew servant in Exodus 21 did them. Rather, it's because Christ took on the role of a servant, because he humbled himself even unto death for us. See, beloved, having a servant mentality is something that runs totally against the grain. Our sinful human hearts rebel against that kind of notion. But if our hearts have been touched by the glorious gospel of the suffering servant who laid down his life for us, then we also will begin to respond the call to offer up our lives for him. We love Christ because he first loved us. And Christ calls us to demonstrate this love by keeping his commandments, just as he kept his Father's commandments. We are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because Christ offered up his body on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Our response needs to flow out of what Christ first did for us is to give our hearts and lives to God in thankfulness for His grace and mercy in Christ. Beloved, such a response is not something that's natural to us. A sinful human heart will not submit itself wholly and completely to the service of God. Of ourselves, we cannot and we will not become servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something Christ has to work in us. It's the miracle of regeneration, where the Spirit penetrates the innermost recesses, where He makes us come alive. A process so wonderful. Scripture speaks about it as a new birth. Our catechism refers to this in question and answer 43. It asks, what further benefit do you receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? It says, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of our flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness.
See, beloved, what happened to Christ in his crucifixion and death happens to us spiritually. In Christ, by the powerful working of his Spirit, our sinful nature is changed. Our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with Christ. We're transformed so that the evil desires of the flesh no longer rule over us. Instead of Satan being the ruler of our lives, Christ is now our king. Instead of living a sinful way of life, the Holy Spirit leads us to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thankfulness to God. Is your life like that? Subject to Christ instead of Satan? Living in the freedom of Christ instead of being in bondage to sin? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll confess. We don't always live thankful lives in response to God's grace. We're easily diverted by the woes and cares of this life. We get caught up in the pleasures this world has to offer. We don't always serve God with the zeal He requires. At times we may become disheartened because of the sins we struggle with, because we see so little progress in our life of faith. Yet, beloved, please take comfort in the redemption Christ has earned for us. He came to take away the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin. He has blessed us with His Spirit, that more and more our lives may reflect the wonders of His grace. Yes, in our lives we see many weaknesses and failings. But the good news is, God is faithful. His love is abiding. He holds on to his children also through periods of time when we struggle. We have the rich assurance that when God begins a work in us, he will also bring it to completion. He will not forsake the work of his hands. This afternoon we've reflected on the wonders of God's grace, on how Jesus Christ was willing to humble himself become a servant for our sake. How he laid down his life for us. May that motivate us to live lives of thankfulness and joy, where we offer up our lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness to him, where we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, where we devote ourselves, heart and soul, to doing the will of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, such service will be greatly blessed by our Father in heaven. This, beloved, is the way of life, of joy, and of peace, now and eternally. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 23, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 6.